question for you. Does your church leadership engage in mutual censure? Some leaders, especially pastors and elders, are likely familiar with this practice occurring in church councils, elder meetings, uh, or session meetings. Some of you listening, however, are scratching your head and have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Welcome to MarsCast, a podcast from Mid-America Reformed Seminary, where our faculty address all things theology and culture from a Reformed lens. I'm your host, Jared Luchibor. So you may be unfamiliar with the concept of mutual censure in the church. I'm referring to the practice of open comments shared between leadership for the purpose of accountability and strengthening leadership. Joining the podcast today and beginning a new series on habits in pastoral ministry is Reverend Paul Ipema, Assistant Professor of Ministerial Studies, who's going to tell us more about it. I'm Paul Ipema. Assistant Professor of Ministerial Studies at Mid-America Reform Seminary. And on today's podcast, I'd like to speak for a few moments about the practice of mutual censure among the elders of the church. Uh, The older term, the Latin term that was used for many years was the term censura morum, the censure of morals. Um, It has its origins uh, back already in the time of Calvin in Geneva, where the pastors in Geneva would gather together and one by one uh, they would be examined or there would be discussion regarding their their ministry and uh, how well they were performing the duties of their office. Uh, in fact, uh, evidence suggests that there was even a time perhaps where the uh, elder or the pastor under consideration um, would be dismissed from the, the gathering so that they could talk more freely about uh, the performance of that particular pastor. I think historically speaking, um, that practice was performed because there was, uh, there was not a, a uniformity among uh, the pastors in terms of their training. So some were better trained in terms of the performance of their uh, pastoral duties than others. And so they wanted to make sure as a group of pastors that uh, the word was being faithfully preached and all the aspects of pastoral ministry were being performed in a way that was uh, edifying um, to, the, to the churches in Geneva. Um, in one form or another, in various church orders and Reformed churches, um, the idea of mutual censure is worded something like this. Uh, on a regular basis, the elders shall mutually uh, exhort one another regarding the performance of the duties of their office. So historically, we've gone from um, examining or interviewing particular ministers to having elders as a whole uh, conduct that work one amongst each other uh, in terms of mutual exhortation and admonition. Now, I bring up this subject uh, in the podcast today because uh, I think the practice itself is is very commendable. I think it's a a good way to encourage uh, office bearers to fulfill the duties of their office and to examine uh, how well elders as a whole are performing their work as uh, shepherds of God's people in the local church. Uh, However, 
uh, it has been my experience in nearly 30 years of pastoral ministry that the practice of um, mutual censure uh, has not been the most edifying. It has not been the most useful practice. In fact, it tends to become uh, quite perfunctory uh, in terms of the things that we do as, as elders in determining how well God's people are being cared for pastorally in the local church. Um, just to give you an example of my own experience, uh, it, it was quite common as an order of business in an elders meeting to conduct mutual censure uh, at one point in the, in the meeting. Typically later on in the meeting, uh, elders are getting weary. They want to end the meeting. They want to wrap it up. And uh, so we go through the, um, the perfunctory act of asking, do you have anything against your fellow office bearer? And we go around the room, the chairman does, and ask the question, do you have anything against your brother? Do you have anything against your brother? And uh, my experience was that it was fairly perfunctory and that the, the same answer was given. It's like, I had no objection. I have no issue with my fellow office bearer. Um, in fact, historically, uh, just to go back for a moment to the way in which mutual censure was practiced, uh, in some of the Dutch church orders um, back in the uh, 1500s, 1600s, you have specific reference made to um, conducting mutual censure before the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, that was assuming that the Lord's Supper was celebrated quarterly every three months, which was the practice, I believe, among most of the Dutch Reformed churches, uh, unlike the practice that we have today, which uh, varies considerably from church to church or from denomination to denomination. But the Dutch uh, at one point had put in their church order that you shall uh, conduct mutual censure um, at the time when you are about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so what happened was there was... uh, the belief that somehow mutual censure was tied to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, as though we were asking, is there anything that would prevent you um, from partaking of the Lord's Supper? Anything related to the performance of uh, your fellow elders' pastoral responsibilities? But I think it's uh, a misunderstanding to tie mutual censure to the uh, practice or the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper um, in fact, I would say that um, mutual censure was tied to the Lord's Supper only as a, a way of ensuring that it was done on a regular basis, quarterly. And so subsequent uh, synods, subsequent church orders in the Reformed tradition um, removed that connection to um, the Lord's Supper. But having said that, um, I think it's important to be clear in terms of what exactly is the purpose of mutual censure. Uh, If you read the commentaries on various church orders, the point is often made that the mutual censure involves not one's um, personal conduct and belief, but simply how well does one perform his duties as an office bearer, as an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. And so, I think it would be mistaken if at a time of mutual censure we talk about personal issues uh, regarding one's conduct in terms of one's belief. In fact, that there are serious issues, uh, those need to be addressed in another format. And certainly if, if those 
uh, concerns are substantiated, uh, that would disqualify a person from serving perhaps as an elder or an office bearer in the church, a minister of the word, for example. So it pertains uh, primarily to the work of, of uh, the office bearer in terms of shepherding God's people. Now, going back to the whole issue of, of it becoming simply uh, a perfunctory performance, it's a routine that's performed simply to check the box, so to speak, um, in terms of responsibilities of the elders. I, I would suggest that elders conduct mutual censure uh, thinking ahead of time, and perhaps uh, there might even be some sort of document put together by the elders to talk about various subjects pertaining to the office of, of elder or minister of the word. Um, for example, you could talk about elders who uh, maybe are to be singled out for their, um, their excellent performance of their duties in terms of visitation, in terms of counseling, um, in terms of leadership in the local church, uh, an opportunity not only to commend them, but to encourage others to follow their example. It may also be a time to uh, exhort or admonish those who have been negligent in their uh, elder responsibilities. This too happens from time to time, of course, as uh, any elder or any pastor will tell you. Um, There are elders who do not do the work that has been assigned to them at the previous elders meeting. They do not uh, make the contacts with people in the congregation. They're derelict in terms of visitation or especially in matters of church discipline. They fail to, to do the work properly. <clears throat> and so it might be a time to, to talk about that and single that out so that it would be corrected. It's never a matter of trying to embarrass an office bearer. It's never a matter of trying to... Um, find fault with people, but simply a a matter of how can we improve uh, the service of of, uh, pastoral work in our church. Um, But I also think there are more broadly areas that could be discussed in terms of the performance of the office bearers. How well are the people being shepherded? Uh, How much contact are we having with members of the congregation? Do Do we know them as well as we ought to know them? and talk not only about how well we're doing, how well we're performing in that respect, but also talking about how we may improve in that respect, suggestions for um, how we can uh, better reach out, say, in terms of missions and evangelism. Uh, What are some suggestions? What are things that we need to discuss? Uh, Those things usually are relegated to a very uh, minor role in the life of the church, There needs to be time when uh, those kind of issues are discussed. And one could also talk about uh, the pastor. How do we evaluate the the work of the pastor and the kind of pastoral care that uh, he he gives to the congregation? How is his preaching ministry? Uh, Again, my experience has been there are some churches who rarely discuss that with their pastors unless there's a serious problem that arises. So it's sort of the, the methodology of trying to put out fires when they flare up. Um, that's not always the most helpful or useful way of, of addressing things like that. Um, there are others where it becomes uh, a time of finding fault or bringing up grievances from the congregation or complaints from the congregation. I think that too 
um, is problematic. I think elders, in one sense, need to to protect and to shield their pastor from undue criticism or unfair criticism. But there should also be a time where there can be open and honest discussion uh, with the pastor about uh, how well his preaching ministry is going. Uh, are there things that he is failing to address from the pulpit? Are there suggestions for, say, a future sermon series? Are there age groups who are not being addressed? Uh, what is he doing particularly well? Uh, things of that nature could be discussed in a very edifying way at mutual censure. Uh, I would also think that there ought to be time as well to evaluate the pastor in terms of other aspects of his teaching ministry. Um, is he doing the work of pastoral visitation well? Is he being diligent? And sometimes elders have no idea. Um, it has always been my practice, at least in the, the latter years of my ministry so far, to submit a list of all the people I have visited. And I know many other pastors do the same thing just so that there's an awareness of, of what the pastor is doing throughout the month between elders' meetings. Um, but also in terms of counseling, I think it's important for pastors to do the work of counseling, to some extent at least. Um, again, I don't think a pastor should be overburdened with those responsibilities, or if they become too burdensome, uh, I think it's perfectly appropriate to refer um, a person or individuals to um, a Christian counselor uh, whom they trust and who shares a, a similar view of, of the gospel and of the authority of Scripture. But I think that is an important part of pastoral ministry that needs to be assessed and encouraged. Um, I think also in terms of the use of the pastor's time, um, a pastor spends much of the week without any direct supervision. Um, and he does not keep a record typically of how he spends each hour of the workday. But again, that needs to be evaluated, discussed. Is he making good use of that time? Is he being a good steward of his time? Is he caring for his family? Is he, is he doing what he needs to do as a, a husband and as a father? So I think there are a number of things that could be addressed in mutual censure beyond simply asking the question, uh, do you have something against your brother? Uh, or is there anything that would prevent you from taking the Lord's Supper? I think those, those are not very edifying ways of addressing that. And I would say also that if um, there is a, a more serious issue with an elder performing his work, that it might be wise, in fact, to address that elder privately um, so that he's spared somewhat, at least initially, and it can be discussed further among the entire group of elders. But I also would discourage uh, asking an elder or a pastor to leave the room when those discussions are taking place regarding the performance of one's uh, pastoral duties. Uh, I did have that experience in one pastorate, and um, I, I found it very unhelpful, especially when you had uh, discussions that went on for 10 or 15 minutes and then you were invited back to the elders' meeting, and nothing was said beyond that. You simply went on to the next order of business. That, that creates a certain suspicion or a certain anxiety uh, in the heart and mind of the pastor. And I think we want to be 
uh, open and and direct with uh, with each other as brothers in the Lord, that we speak in love and encouragement, that we try to encourage each other in the work that we're doing in a way that builds up the body of elders, the body of Christ, and brings glory to Christ. Next time on MarsCast, Reverend Ipema considers the habits of the pastor and how he reads. Tune in next time as he offers a brief glimpse as to why this is really important for a pastor in his ministry. If you enjoyed this episode of MarsCast, please consider subscribing and telling others who might be interested. Your support allows us to keep producing engaging content and build a thoughtful community of lifelong learners and thoughtful practitioners. I'm Jared Luchibor signing off for now. See you on the next episode of MarsCast. <laughs>